Welcome back to the Drunk on Writing Dissections. In today's episode, brought to you in part through the patronage of Arya North, we're talking the 2016 release La La Land, directed by Damien Chazelle and starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Now, this audio was taken from the video version originally released at DrunkOnWriting.com in August 2017. And I want to make specific note of that because there were a few edits I had to make to truncate some of the music and references in order to sort of abide by the podcast god rules. So if you'd like to see the full version, go check it out at youtube.com slash drunkonwriting or drunkonwriting.com, where you can also sign up for early access, exclusive shows and perks, and more. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the channel and leave a review. After all, we're on this journey together, right? That said, on to the dissection. Today, we're going to talk about La La Land, which just so happens to be one of my favorite movies in a really, really long time. Which, trust me, is a little bit surprising because I hate, let me repeat that, I hate musicals. I think musicals just kind of creep me out. Just imagine if you were walking around town and you see these two gangs just about to go at it, but instead of going you know, all Anchorman on each other, they just start walking around and dancing and just... That would drive me insane. I'd be like, what Twilight Zone am I living in where gang members snap their fingers and do dance moves around each other? No, that's not realistic. I hate it. It bothers me. Or imagine if you go to buy your morning Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever you prefer. I brew my own here because... I'm not going to pay all that exorbitant prices all the time. Although I like a good Saturday Starbucks, I gotta say. But anyways, imagine if you go to buy that coffee, and instead of pouring your coffee, the barista pours it halfway, puts it down, and suddenly breaks into song and rips off her apron, and everybody around you starts dancing and snapping their fingers behind her, and just follow her out of the building as she starts singing about how miserable working there is and that she quits and she's going to move on with life and become an actress. You know what all the musicals are about being an actress? It's certainly what La La Land is about. But still, I did love La La Land. I have to say. Maybe it was just the company. Maybe it was just my mood. But I loved it nonetheless. Anyways, so there aren't really that many classical musicals anymore. While there were this huge field of films back in the golden age of cinema, you know, I'm talking Oklahoma, 42nd Street, Guys and Dolls, White Christmas, Singing in the Rain. If we get anything today, it's probably an adaptation of some Broadway musical, which, don't get me wrong, I like myself some Chicago or, uh, not A2 Mama, Tom Dan, the other one with the mama with all the ABBA music. You know which one I'm talking about. But La La Land is specifically designed to be a film. It's not based on anything before. It was an original script specifically for film. So because viewers might not really be used to that kind of a concept, La La Land employed a few little tricks. Most especially, it's full-on opening statement of intent. That big musical gallantry on the highway that they actually had to close the highway down for. That is there to let you know what to expect over the next few hours. In an interview with NPR, Damien Chazelle actually said this opening number is sort of an introduction to the world. And, in his words, 
begin the musical with as musical-esque a scene as we could possibly imagine. And it works! Not only because the song is extremely catchy, believe me, I've had it stuck in my head far too long, but because that whole opening shot, that whole section from when they start beeping the horns all the way to when we meet the main characters, that's all done in one shot. One continuous long shot. Granted, it uh, was done Birdman style where they, you know, shot multiple takes and stitched them all together digitally to make it look continuous, but still, not too shabby, right? What better though? This scene does something more. This scene is there to show viewers that the songs within this world aren't just random. They're not just there. This is, they're not natural. What they represent is strong emotions. In this case, frustration at being stuck in an endless traffic jam on the LA highway. I would be frustrated too. I've been out there. It sucks. They got six lanes and they're all jammed. And I mean, when all you've got is beeping horns and curse words and screeching tires and bashing bumpers, what else are you gonna do? You have to sing. It's another day of song. Not gonna do that. I'm not gonna punish you. That's just horrible and awful. No. No. Nope. Mm-mm. Well, I did take choir back in the house. No, no, not gonna do it. No. So Chazelle, in that same interview with NPR, gives even more logic to his uh, songs as emotion motif. He says, There's something so kind of brash and defiant and almost avant-garde about the idea of just breaking the normal rules of, you know, normal reality. Even if it's a fantasy or something, there's some kind of assumption that things are going to follow a certain order. And musicals just break that. And they break it in the name of emotion. And that, I think, was a really powerful, beautiful idea to me. That if you feel enough, you break in the song. So yeah, we have this long, developed opening. Super elaborate kind of musical number. Kind of thing that you would see on stage or maybe back in Singing in the Rain. Very unfitting with all of those. But then we're back in reality and we're back to the horn honking and we're finally introduced to our main characters. Emma Stone's Mia, a struggling wannabe actress who, again, is a barista. And Ryan Gosling's Sebastian, a struggling jazz player, a struggling pianist, who is happens to just be stuck in the car behind Mia. Sucks to be him. And from then on, the story just moves kind of at breakneck speed. I mean, there's really no stopping it. It's, there's, there's some little, like, emotional lulls, but the story just goes. And the reason for this, the reason for this just going, is because La La Land is actually sort of two movies in one. First, we've got the love story. We have Mia and Sebastian coming together, meeting up, sharing their dreams, doing little things for each other. The kind of things that would instantly make someone like me immediately fall in love with them. That dance. That Emma Stone dance. You know the one. And this whole first half culminates in this beautifully orchestrated sequence in the planetarium. Then we have the second half of the movie. The downfall. The separation. We see them get pulled apart. Drift apart. Starting right with that dinner scene that follows the climax. This dinner scene that could not possibly have gone worse if you tried. <laughs> and then we get treated to this long, drawn-out silence. No background music, very little dialogue. It lasts several scenes. It's almost the opposite of the dance numbers, where you get that strong emotion here. It's this lack of emotion, this this lack of empathy almost. And you, it makes you really feel for the characters, because in those moments is when they feel the most real, the most visceral. And it ends in this 
this kind of quiet, introspective conversation between Mia and Sebastian, where they realize, and we realize along with them, that they just have to give their dreams everything that they've got. So we have these two movies with these two climaxes stitched together, tied together into this one feature-length film. Only made possible, follow me here, because of the fact that it is a musical. As Giselle put it in an interview with Creative Screenwriting, each of those stories normally takes a full movie to tell, and we knew we needed to tell both of these stories equally. So we had to not only tell two movies in one movie, but also pepper it with songs and musical numbers. There was a lot of trickiness in basically squeezing and being economical, in finding shorthand or elliptical ways to tell a lot of story that you would normally tell in many, many pages. We didn't want this to be a three-hour movie, and wanted it to be, at most, a two-hour movie. According to IMDb, La La Land clocks in at exactly 128 minutes. That's pretty damn close. You know, I, th I think what pulls me most strongly to this movie, and why I put it right up there with Office Space and The Beach and a couple of others as some of my all-time favorites, is the fact that it's it's about these two dreamers. You know, it's about these these two characters who not just live inside their own heads, who not just dance on clouds when this raw emotional impact of love takes over them, but these two individuals who dream about these lives that they could have, these lives that they want, these ideal jobs, these ideal careers, and maybe also the fact that they're always thinking about how they could get there. But I think the moral of this particular story is that sometimes you need someone else to get you to that dream, someone else to help you along the way and push you toward what you want. It's actually right there in that second song, if you pay really attention. We have these two artists who, again, alone, are struggling. We have the struggling pianist, jazz player, we have the struggling actress. But once they come together, once they start pushing each other on, their dreams start to come true. We can see it in the recurring theme, which, though played again and again as the movie goes on, is never really complete until Emma Stone's Mia chimes in and adds her two cents to the song. We also see in how Ryan Gosling's Sebastian eggs Mia on to put up a one-woman play. And then him practically going insane on the verge of flipping out when she refuses an audition. Or tries to refuse an audition, I should say. It's only after all of that that Mia, Emma Stone, realizes the raw talent that she has and tries to come out of her shell a little bit more. And actually lands that audition. Spoilers and does a fantastic job with it, and then, you know, that was that. Of course, as I mentioned, there's that melancholy end. There's that downfall. But it's one that feels so incredibly true to the theme of this movie, to the world of this movie, to the characters of this movie, that I'm almost hesitant to really label it as sad. Because we quickly realize, as the characters do, that if you want to follow your dreams, sometimes you can't follow the dreams of someone else. You have to just go for it. No sacrifices, no compromises. 
We see Sebastian uh, do this, actually. We see him compromise when he goes and joins a band and he starts rocking out with John Legend. Literally rocking out up on his little jazz super keyboard thing. But while he thinks this is what Mia wants, that he gets a steady paycheck, that he makes a name of himself, because he overhears this conversation that she just happens to be having with who I believe is her mother, it backfires. Of course, it drives a wedge between the two of them. And it, again, leads to that aforementioned ending. But it's what, it's what comes after this ending that is the true key to La La Land, to understanding the story and scope of this film, the epilogue. Set five years later, Mia is now that uh, amazing actress, this world-known actress who comes full circle back to this little coffee shop, orders her coffee, and says, oh no, it's on me, and blah blah blah, you know the rest. And Sebastian owns his own club, Seb's, which uses the exact logo that she designed for him earlier on in the movie. How's that for a nice little callback? Both in general, have fulfilled their dreams. And yet, through a series of little events, they end up seeing each other again. And there's another long moment of silence as their emotions run amok as they're trying to understand what is happening. And then Sebastian plays the final version of their theme. And we see another number that you would expect in this huge musical from the 50s and 60s, this grand spectacle with uh, abstract art and these false outlines of cities that yet in, are so invigorating and so rapturous you just kind of want to dive in and it's something that you would expect to see on a Broadway stage. But what's more important is the story here because what we're witnessing is this montage of what could have been, perhaps what should have been. And probably if this were a regular musical, maybe if it was a regular movie, Definitely how the film would have progressed. We get the hint that they could have been happy together. They could have had a life together. But in pursuit of their dreams, in pursuit of their own individual happiness, they chose different paths. So do they regret it? I think that's the, the main question that audiences are left with when the movie ends and the credits start to roll. Are they happy with their decisions? Are they happy that they followed their dreams? Honestly, it's a little hard to tell. And the silence that follows those last few notes on the keyboard, that follow that last lingering imagined kiss, it speaks volumes. And that final look that passes between them, I think that that really leaves it open somewhat to debate, especially with the little half smiles that they offer each other. But I like to think, this is my own interpretation of it, that they realize that they did what was best for each other and not just themselves. But there's another point to that look. It's about the fact that La La Land is not a love story. It's a movie about following your dreams and the sacrifices that have to be made along the way to do that. That and sometimes there are people that will be there to help boost you up, to help get you to that next step, but you may just have to leave them behind. They're there for a moment, they serve their purpose, and then you have to move on to the next best thing, the next thing that is going to make you happy, the next thing that is going to bring you closer to that dream. And perhaps that next person is your dream. You don't know until you try, right? So perhaps not everyone will agree with that. Perhaps for some of you, that dreamlike life that Mia and Sebastian kind of thought up during that epilogue, during that final montage, is enough. Perhaps that 
is the sort of life you've always imagined. But I think the point of La La Land is that's not the case for Sebastian. And that's not the case for Mia. And honestly, I have to tend to agree with him. I don't think that's the case for me either. This has been the Drunk on Riding dissection of La La Land. And as always, thank you for listening. In the next episode, we're digging into what's proven to be a somewhat controversial opinion about the video game The Last of Us. Like La La Land, something of an all-time favorite for me. But remember, if you don't want to wait for the podcast to upload, you can always go watch the video version right now at youtube.com slash drunkonwriting or drunkonwriting.com, where you can sign up for early access, exclusive shows, and more. I hope you give it a look. Until next time, cheers, and keep on writing.